0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. We have a very interesting show tonight. Great guest. This is actually his third time on the show, three times a charm, maybe. Tommy Dades, legendary first-grade detective, organized crime expert, uh, the guy who put away Ippolito and Caracappa, known as the Mafia Cops, uh, wrote a book called uh, Friends of the Family, and some big things are happening with that. Uh, This is the book Friends of the Family, Tommy Dades and Michael Vecchioni. The show is going to be made into a TV series. And so Tommy Dades probably won't talk to me after that once he gets his residual check. But as a guest host tonight, we have fan favorite, Brooklyn native, (laughs) Joe Pesci (laughs) lookalike, Phil Grimaldi. Phil, welcome to the show.
1: Am I here to amuse you? Am I here to make you laugh? <laughs> yeah. It's so York. funny, Bill. What the hell is so friggin' funny? How you doing, Billy? Thank you for having Pretty me back.
0: good. You know something? When people listen to the show from other states and other countries, they're like, we love those New York accents. Well, we got two Brooklyn accents and one Manhattan, Long Island accent, so we're going to confuse everybody. But uh, Tommy Dade's has some uh, really great uh, stories. This is almost like I should call this War Story Tuesday. But uh, Tommy Dade's is going to tell us some stories from his uh, wonderful 20-year police career and then five-year uh, working for the Brooklyn DA's office. So, Phil, I know that you have a few questions you want to ask Tommy in regards to some of his cases.
1: Just go ahead and shoot, buddy. Well, first off, I got to say, when I was in, uh, when I first went to the bureau in Brooklyn South, Tommy went to the six eight. I was in the six zero in Coney Island. So as time went on, I had the homicide squad right in my office, and I would always hear about this really sharp young detective, Tommy Dades, and I heard a lot of things about him. And then in nineteen ninety six, you know, we crossed paths a few times at parties and stuff. We spoke, but then in ninety six, I went to the six eight squad, and then I got to see the real Tommy Dades. In action, and let me tell you, he was all business all the time. Uh, he did a lot of great things in Bay Ridge and, and just in Brooklyn in general, related to organized crime. Uh, anything that happened in Brooklyn, it happened to be in that area, there was always a connection to that area. So, Tommy was right on it. And you know, I, I was talking to somebody recently, I said, Tommy had a clear over a hundred murders, and then I asked Tommy, and we think the number was right about that, right, Tom? With all the time that the bureau and Intel, yeah,
2: not all, not all to do with me, all to do with like team and group efforts and cases, you know, where guys came in, cooperated. Um, we had one guy came in and uh, gave us information on twenty-five homicides, just one, you know. So,
1: so, so that's clearances right there. That's twenty-five well, we result- right then.
2: God rest his soul, John Nelson and the Homicide Squad. Uh, you know, Danny Cherentano from the Cold Case Squad is always finding these these blue fives with me and John Nelson on them, either with collars or, you know, ECs on on, on cases. And he's, I don't even remember half the things me and John did. But me and let, John- Let Nelson me just
1: clarify. To. Let me just clarify. An EC is called, an NYPD is an exceptional clearance. What it means is that the case is cleared and closed- because maybe the perpetrator is dead, or uh, some other facts that they they close it out. Sometimes it could be justifiable, but it's it, it's exceptional clearance, EC. We call it an EC.
0: Those poor dead perpetrators get all these cases slapped <laughs> on them, you know?
1: <laughs> well, sometimes, too, they could EC it. If the guy's in jail for 150 years, good chance he's not coming out, so they'll EC it. And, right, and, the, and the DA doesn't that.
0: want to spend the money to prosecute yeah. a case where the guy's already yeah. in jail forever, right? Right, But right. sometimes people, the family members, like to see the guy get convicted of a you case involved. It,
2: it was nice because you were able to, you know, when you get these information on what happened to somebody's loved one who, you know, uh, nobody knew about, you know, no one had a clue. Sometimes there wasn't even a body. And uh, then you get these guys that come in. And, you know, a lot of times we put the case together and call them. And sometimes the guy was already doing 150 years or sometimes that guy was dead. But at least you could go to the family and they can have some closure on what happened. You know, somebody, there's two instances right off the top of my head where there were two bodies that we knew who killed them. We had everything on them and they built, you know, where they buried them, they actually built like mall strip malls on top of where the bodies were buried and you couldn't even recover the bodies for them,
0: you know? You know, it's funny when you talk about uh some of the mob expressions in the you know um one of the things was the golden age of the mob do you know what that was that was uh philly told me they had.
2: i probably wouldn't have guessed that me i would have the golden age of the mob i would have said probably was uh you know uh back back in the, the the 60s and the 70s but uh that was before Rico. That's right. I, you know, you passed. The, the, I thought you were Honorable pass. Rudolph Giuliani, who <laughs> instilled it, and he got that. From what I understand, he, reading the book um, uh was it Men of Honor by Joe uh, Bonanno? and that's what gave him the idea to put it together. He was the first one to utilize that that law where he did the the heads of the five families.
0: You know, I knew I knew Tommy
1: would get that one. <laughs>
0: I, I, I thought he was going to fail. I tried to come with a question out of left field, but he, he did his homework. He was studying this weekend. Wait, right.
1: I got one for you, Bill. I just got one quick one for you. You know what a Boudel is?
0: <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, oh, I
1: got him. It's the I same know, thing know. as a Brook. You know what a Donnybrook is, yes, right? of course. Yeah. Same thing, same that's thing. The,
0: that's the Irish version, the Donnybrook. Right, right. right. In Italian, no. we
1: say, my God, it was some Sambudel. That's a big fight. <laughs> uh, you know what Chadroul is? Oh, f- of course. I worked for a Chadroul. I don't know. I shouldn't say his name. But there was a, sergeant that, in a state squad that I'm we nicknamed a- him
0: the Chadroul. I love to say certain Italian words because coming out of my mouth, they're like, why is he talking Italian? The guy's Irish. I said, look at that Chadroul, you know. I love that.
1: Oh, I use ch- Chadroul a lot. There's a couple <laughs> other ones I use, but I want to get vulgar. You know, Tommy,
0: I wanted to say, you know, we, we had Larry Mazza on here. You know, I, I read his book. Uh, he makes me
2: and- look like I crawled out of a sewer in the book. You know, it was, short, it was a short stint. You know, when I met him, it was a short stint in that gym. Um and I ended up going to uh, Gramercy and Gleason's. I remember taking the train there at like 14 years old, you know, in Manhattan, when Gleason's was in Manhattan. Bruce Silverglaze owns it now on Front Street. Uh, but uh, it was a short stint, but that was the first place that I ever stepped into a ring. And as a matter of fact, the guy that actually, I think, really owned it was uh, a wise guy that was the 52-54 Golden Glove champion. He used to come watch me fight. And the U.S. Attorneys in the – FBI agents look, what's this guy doing here? But I knew him from boxing and I knew his I knew his daughter and I know his son-in-law very well. It was Angelo Defenders. You know, and he passed away. But he was the 1952, 1954 Golden Glove champ, and he was going in the Olympics and he broke his arm. And that probably would have changed the route that he went.
1: He broke his hand, Tom. He broke his hand. His hand. Yeah. yeah he that. had that, because uh, I knew Angelo as well. He had that fracture that a lot of boxes, they call it yeah. a box. Well, now Najee
2: gets them a lot. He had like yeah. five surgeries over those.
1: Yeah. But he was going to the Olympics and he had that fight, fractured his hand and his career. Yeah. And then-
2: I was at his daughter's house and I saw all his awards down the basement. I mean, he was, you know, he was a pretty. I made Burt Sugar announce. Announced that he was there, and everybody's looking at me cross-eyed. But my daughter's godfather uh, and him are very were very close, and he used to take him to some of my fights, and he'd come over, hey kid, you know, do whatever, and everyone would look at me cross-eyed.
1: You, you know where he started boxing, Tom? Where the gym in the six-two precinct. He started boxing. He he got he started boxing as a teenager in the 6 in the precinct gym.
2: Oh in the precinct gym. Yes. Oh okay. Yes.
1: Yeah, he he that's where he got to start and you know, he obviously he went he went in a different direction when his boxing career kind of went sideways but uh but I, was, I I was friends with him up until he died and he was uh he was you know, he was a stand-up guy, you know, and Oh, absolutely absolutely. I was in a restaurant with with him and there was a ketchup bottle. This was when he was in his 70s. It was a ketchup bottle right on the end of the table. Somebody bunked into the table. The thing fell. He caught it in midair. And I looked at him in shock, and I said, oh, my God, Angelo, how'd you do that? He goes, I don't know. I just I, – I caught it, you know. So he still had the speed in his 70s, you know.
0: That's pretty That's pretty fast hands. I remember Muhammad Ali used to say that he could turn off the lights and be in bed sleeping before the lights went out.
1: <laughs> I love that one. That was a great one. That is a good one. <laughs> You know, know, going back to now, when I went to the squad and and Tommy and all of that, um, there was a couple of cases he worked on. And I mentioned we were talking about a case. I don't know if it was on your show or on on duty run show that there was a I did was duty run show where there was a homicide where no body was recovered and they charged it. And I said I referred to one of your cases, Tom, where Tom actually uh, made a made a collar for a homicide without a body. More than once, Tom. Right.
2: Yeah, this you're, you're talking about Billy. Yes. Billy yes. Yeah, we they, they ended up there was two there was two shots with that. It was uh, me, Gary Pontecorvo, who ended up being the head of JTTF on the FBI side. Um, great agent and Jimmy Destefano was the three of us. And when Billy got killed, we didn't know who the shooters. We we had it. We knew you know, who, who ordered the murder. You know, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a long, detailed story. But uh, we end up convicting uh, Allie Boy Persico, who was the boss, acting boss of the family because his father was still alive, and uh, Jackie DeRoss, who had taken Billy's place as the underboss after they killed him. We didn't have a body, and we convicted them under conspiracy to kill him. They lost the trial. They got life. And then when they found the body and the shooter's And, you know, everybody else involved, two of the two of the shooters cooperated and one of the shooters didn't. And the guy who ordered it directly to them getting the message from Alley Boy and Jackie uh, was on trial. And I guess the jury didn't uh, really want to buy the story. The actual people that pulled the trigger, you know, over the people that ordered it. So they lost
0: that trial. But we we convicted them on uh, the conspiracy. So, Tommy, you think that as a detective, you worked as hard on mob murders as, as John Q. Citizen murders? I worked,
2: you know, in, in, you know, in a diversified, all kind of diversified, you know, cases. Um, you know, we had there was a there was 1992, 1993. I had a you know, in the 6-8, you know, there were certain, you know, certain cases were high-profile cases, you know. Uh, the home reporter would have it, the Daily News, you know. The police commission actually reviewed one of the case for homicide folders, you know. Um, and we had three going on that um, were really not, not, none of the three were mobbed. Uh, you know, two. there was a triple attempted murder where um, guys, like, literally – Bed and one was a cop's brother who died Then this is all at the same time within the same period of time and then we had uh, a cop in a 6-8 and his brother drinking in a bar shot seven times they lived and then we had uh, Another young man that uh, his father was a retired fire lieutenant that was killed had all of that going, had six perps and all of that going on at the same time. It wasn't nothing to do with organized crime. And uh, it took three years, but all six perps, you know, um, four four of six pled, the other two went to trial and it was my only experience with a double jury with two defendants. I've never seen that before. We had two juries.
0: Oh, you mean rather than rather than sever the case, they tried them at the same time with two different juries. Well,
2: juries, yes, in the same courtroom. Sometimes one jury would have to leave. Sometimes they could hear both sides. And Mike Vecchione prosecuted all three of those cases. He was the DA in charge of all three, and he he won that that. When I heard the jury say both jurors say guilty on that, um, it was me and Mike Galetta. And Joey Regina, that from the Homicide Squad that worked that case. It was the three of us. And when I heard the uh, the uh, both, you know, uh, foreman of the jury say guilty, it was probably one of the most satisfying um, moments in the trial that I've experienced because we worked really, really hard on it. There was really nothing on it for about a good year and a half. There was nothing, you know, and uh, we got lucky. We got really lucky. The three of us, you know, worked well, you know,
0: well. you know what they say. They say that uh, when you work seven days a week, 14 hours a day, you get lucky.
2: Yeah, not nah. My ex-wife <laughs> called up. My son was going to Florida um, a couple of weeks ago. So she calls up a car service out in Jersey to get him, you know, Uber. I don't know what it is, but whatever the hell it was. So for some reason, all their phones were – in my daughter's name. So my last name comes up. And uh the guy on the phone asks my ex-wife, you know, you related to Tommy Dade, and she got a little She didn't know what to say <laughs> or you know what to say right away, you know. And she goes, Uh yeah, he's my ex-husband. He's the father of my son who's I'm calling for, you know. He's going Frankie he was going away with all, you know, the guys from the fire department, whatever. And uh the guy says, uh, your ex-husband, uh, me and my brother, were drinking in a bar and got shot 30 years ago. And your ex-husband um, caught the guy, and the guy got 30 to life. And I recovered the gun, too. And, uh, Did you pick up their bar tab? He, you know what? <laughs> he, he, he told her, uh, anytime you call, tell your ex-husband I said hello, and anytime you call here, there's no charge, <laughs> so I I know exactly who it is, and you know I'm glad that they're doing good and they're healthy. God bless them both.
0: Wow, man! When when stuff comes back like it, full circle like that, you know it's uh it's pretty satisfying, right? It's it's
2: sad to hear thirty years ago,
0: you know. Like
2: where where did time go? You know, I really you know I
0: wonder what Tommy. I wonder what it feels like an old gunshot wound that healed, but thirty years later, I and mean, what does it feel like? I mean. I'm feeling pain from old, you know, old sports injuries. And yeah, so,
2: I'm, I'm, going so you, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I'm going on my 11th surgery.
1: Tommy takes his shirt off. He looks like Frankenstein. I,
2: I, <laughs> I stopped counting after 500 stitches.
0: <laughs>
1: Carol, in Alaska. How do you
0: like the uh, New York accents? Uh, she's, from, she's from Alaska, so she... She may even need an interpreter to understand us, you know? Hey,
1: oh, Alaska, forget about it. <laughs> hey, take it easy over there. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom, you brought up Billy Cthulhu. And Billy Cattulo was a captain in- The
2: underboss, uh, yeah, the Colombo crime family. Under-
1: underboss, the crime family. And Tommy had arrested him a couple of times. And we were in the precinct, and Tommy would bring in these guys, and- you know, it was very casual. They were under arrest and all of that, but, you know, it was maybe handcuffed to a desk or whatever. But Tommy had a relationship with this guy. It was like he was talking to his uncle, and the guy treated him like he was his nephew. I mean, he treated Tommy that way, you know? And I think there was a mutual respect there, Tom. You want to tell it, us a little bit about that?
2: It, it, there really was. You know, I'll tell you an amu- a quick, amusing story. There's so many friggin' stories, but, uh, you know, Billy. Um, Billy just knew it was a cat and mouse game. You know, he didn't play. He wasn't disrespectful to us in any which way, shape, or form. Um, he knew, you know, if you get caught, you get caught. He actually told all his guys one day, like, if this guy comes in here, you know, talk to him with respect. And, you know, don't, don't disrespect these guys, whatever. And uh, I locked up Billy um, twice on my own and once with the FBI. And uh, when we locked him up, uh, you know, he had diabetes, so I'd make sure he'd get his insulin. He liked to smoke cigars, so I'd let him light up a cigar in a precinct, you know, make sure he got his food, he ate, you know, his jewelry, his money, things like that. You know, I have-
0: did you did you remember the three coffee beans in the Sambuca? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Just checking. I want to make sure yes. you knew that.
2: And, uh, we, we, you know, I'd send his, I'd call his wife and tell his wife to come into the precinct and this way we didn't voucher, you know, his things. I just tried to be a gentleman, you know, and he was, he was very much appreciated. I mean, I did what I had to do, you know, but, uh, he understood his lawyer. When his lawyer actually called the priest and he said, you know, do me a favor anytime Billy's got to get arrested, could you be the guy to go get some, you know, <laughs> but, uh, he was, he was, he was, he was an interesting character, put it that way. You know, he was a very interesting character.
0: You know, Tommy, people that aren't in the uh, police business, specifically in the investigative business, they don't understand why it's in the investigator's best interest to treat a perpetrator with a lot of respect and to be nice to the person because it you pays dividends down the road, right? Hey, Listen,
2: some people deserve to be treated in a different manner. You know what I'm saying? But in a whole... Always try to start off with a, you know, with a, with a respectful conversation, the way I'd like to be spoken to. You know, um, does it pay dividends off down the road? Sometimes, a lot of times, yes, it does. You know, and there's no harm in somebody where you show you're not, you know, abusing. You know, like because you're a cop, you think you're a tough guy. You know, and and you know, hiding behind that, you know, just be a regular guy, talk normal to them, and. You know, we came from the same neighborhood, basically. We knew the same people. So, you know, I try, I would interview anybody. You know, Jimmy Hawkins, me, um, when I went to Intel, uh, Chief Oates, Inspector McCool, Inspector Tartaglia, Chief Ali, they let us start up an organized crime unit there, which had got disbanded when uh, William Pice got arrested uh, when Sammy uh, pinned him out for paying off a juror. So Intel got disbanded. They had Kenny McCabe, Jimmy Mullins. They had guys there. I would read through their folders. They were unbelievable investigators. Kenny McCabe was by for, you know far that no, nobody can. Nobody knew what Kenny knew. You know, Kenny was by far the most knowledgeable guy I ever met in organized crime, um, more than organized crime figures. Uh, so. You know, when we started the unit, it was me, Michaeletta, Jimmy Hawkins, um, Kevin O'Brien was our lieutenant, and Sergeant McCabe was our sergeant for a while, and then he got transferred. So it was just me, Jimmy, Michaeletta, and Lieutenant O'Brien, and we would we worked with the DEA, the FBI, federal probation, you name it. We did cases with everybody. And Chief Oates sent us down to Manhattan Central Booking one day, and just to debrief, anybody. And we did an eight-hour tour down Manhattan Central Booking. And uh, Jimmy Hawkins just speaks to this guy who got locked up for selling a nickel bag of weed. And I don't know if you ever heard the case. It made the front page of the paper. That was all Hawkins. You know, I mean, I tagged along once in a while when they collar different groups of them, But that was all Jimmy. He was obsessed with it. He actually brought the FBI in and worked with the FBI, they prosecuted it federally. And I think it was Nassau or Suffolk County, uh, detectives. It was called, uh, it's, the guy's name was Padmore, his last name. It's was called the Joker case. And it was a bunch of guys running around, robbing jewelry stores, killing people all over the place. And Jimmy locked them all up. And there were a bunch of unsolved homicides in Long Island, in, in Brooklyn. And Jimmy got that from debriefing a guy who got sold, got caught selling a nickel bag of weed that would have been dismissed when he went upstairs.
0: See, that's what I'm talking about, man. You never know. You're nice I, to somebody. I, 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 it was an amazing – made the front page of the news. It said Joker,
2: and it had the guy Padmore's picture on it. You know, so man. Jimmy he was an amazing detective.
0: k Images, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. Lieutenant Pete Pranzo. And the Harlem Raiders, thank you for 4.99. And attorney Joe Murray, I, and it's, it's maybe even time to show your uh, – Joe Murray is one of the biggest police-off-the-cuff uh, supporters. And that's his uh, Joseph W. Murray, attorney at law. He also has a mean left hook. I won't tell you how I know that. And he's got <laughs> a website now, jmurray-law.com. You want a great attorney who's going to always be by your side, He's going to stick up for you no matter what, that's Joseph Murray, attorney at law. And uh, Tom- I got a comment
1: about Joe Murray real quick. Last night, I, last night I was on Duty Run show, and something came up. We were discussing a case, and I threw something at him. And I got to tell you, he took it apart like that, right off the cuff. You know, like in like as a defense attorney. So he's he's a great attorney. That's all I could say based on. My little uh, encounter with him, a little uh, back and forth. He's a great attorney.
0: And you know something? He also has some police off the cuff. uh, I mean, uh, the perfect murder experience. He played an attorney on that, right? Yeah,
1: we talked about that last night too. (laughs) That was
0: (laughs) He's got a future in acting too, I think.
1: Yes, no? yes, yes. One of the most
0: brilliant. I mean, Artie Idala is a
2: great attorney on the state side. I know he'll get mad at me now when I say what I'm gonna say, but <laughs> I know most,
1: where this is going, Tom.
2: Oh, no, it's I'm not lying. The most I mean, the most brilliant uh federal prosecutor I ever worked with, who's now has a major law firm in Manhattan and Philadelphia. bar none, James Walden. Um didn't come, didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, he finished, I think, first in his law, law class, worked his way through college. He clerked for a federal judge in Philly, got a job in the Eastern District, and uh, ended up the chief of the organized crime section. That guy would work 16 hours a day. I mean, wh- one time, we, me and him, I just read off the information that like four cooperating witnesses gave me, and in, like, 60 seconds, he typed off an indictment where two wise guys pled guilty, you know, because it was he was that good, you know. He beat Jerry Shargell. He beat Ben Broffman. I don't think he ever lost a trial as a U.S. attorney. I don't think he's ever lost one as a defense attorney. One of the most brilliant and humble guys that you ever wanted to meet in your life. But amazing, amazing attorney.
0: That's great. Guys, I just have to quickly go to a quick commercial uh Carol Waters, a realtor down in Myrtle Beach. Any all you guys that want to flee New York City and go down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, call her at real uh beachrealtygroup.com, Carol Waters. Uh the cell phone number is 914-261-6681. Her husband, Rob Mayen, was a uh rollover NYPD to the FDNY. Uh she's been down in Myrtle Beach. They're million-dollar salespeople, so they know all about the Myrtle Beach um, real estate game down there. So give her a call, 914-261-6681. And all you Police Off the Cuff fans, this Tuesday, uh, retired Captain Joe Lisi has declared Police Off the Cuff Night uh, at 7 p.m., 350 West 46th Street. There's the number to make reservations. Mark and I will be there. We'll be shaking hands, taking pictures, kissing babies. Hopefully the babies are over 24 years old. I don't know. But we'll be doing all of that. So if you want to come have a nice pizza and meet a lot of old-time cops, come out uh, Tuesday night. Are the babies going to be dipped in butter? Yeah, I hope so.
1: <laughs> that's an, that's a police off-the-cuff uh, thing. They have a, a mug dipped in butter or something, right, right Bill?
0: <laughs> well, it came from saying that cops that were on the job that had a charmed career – we said their balls were dipped in butter.
1: <laughs> That's where that came from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So to
0: clean it up on the mug, we just put dipped in butter. So, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Tom, I just, it. I wanted to go into a story I remember in, in the 6-8. Um, we did a, uh, well, not way we, Tommy did a case called Operation Little Caesar where they arrested 40 guys at once. We had like um uh, we did the whole thing out of the, uh, Fort Hamilton army base. We had like over 300 detectives, guys from the DA's office, FBI, DEA. And we arrested 40 guys simultaneously. And then shortly thereafter, Tommy started getting th- death threats from one of the guys. So I don't know. You want to pick up the story, Tom?
2: Yeah, that was a case. Um, Brooklyn side Narcotics was involved. It started, the way it really started was me and Eric Stangerby from the DEA. They had just, uh, taking down one portion of guys, and me and Eric hooked up together in the 6'8", and we were we were looking at mug shots like baseball cards and trading them. And I'm saying they had them as unindicted co-conspirators, and I was like, what do you want to do? You know, you got this guy, you got that guy, but you get this one. So me and Eric, you know, started the case, and then uh, Chief Ali got involved, Bill Plackermeyer, Brooklyn South Narcotics, DEA, you know, Group 2208, Best DA agent you ever wanted to work with. Uh, that was Jamie Hunt, Rob uh Eric Stangerby, Myron Holichuk. I mean, great. And their boss was uh, John Cipriano. God rest his soul. Sweetheart of a guy. Great guys. One better than the other. And uh, we locked. I told that. I think we told this story on the John Popper thing. I was, we were getting Christmas cards in my house with uh, pictures of me, my two kids, and my wife. And somebody machine gunned and assaulted that, and they kept coming. And I think Michaeletta got one too. And uh, the FBI and Major K Squad got involved. And did,
0: did the PD throw you a radio to take home with yes, you? Yes, they did.
2: They <laughs> me radio. And I used to Tariu, love that. That was Tariu the way they dealt with. Taru did the right thing, um, but uh the, the stupid idiot licked the envelope, <laughs> <laughs> and they were able to match. His Can DNA. you say the
1: guy's name or no? Yeah, uh, Ronald Moran. No, but his, his his nickname. Messi Marvin. Messi Marvin. You <laughs> uh, should have saw him, Bill. Messi Marvin li- was quite messy. He it was about 200 envelope. pounds.
2: And he licked the envelope, and they, he pled guilty to it in federal court. It was pretty
0: funny. You know, there was a uh, – I think I mentioned this on one of the other shows. There was this stick-up in a jewelry store in France. And the robbers ordered the, the owner to open up the safe, and she refused. And so they pretty much assured, her, if you don't open it, we're going to shoot you. So she finally opened it, and they, there was a lot of, I don't know exactly how much money and jewelry, but they took all the jewels, and before the robber left, he kissed her on the cheek. And, of course, they swabbed the cheek, uh, and mate. he identified the moron. <laughs>
1: that
0: was great. the I only experience,
2: like I told you, that I ever had with DNA, you know? And they, 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 that was the only time at DNA I was ever used in a case, you know, involving me.
1: Yeah. That day when we did the takedown, uh, it was usually like two or three detectives. We had a boss with us and you got, they, they gave you paperwork on who you were going after. So the guy that I had, I can't think of his name. Um, but uh, it was me. It was, uh, John Pellegrini. Uh, I think it was maybe Patty Como and it was a Sergeant from the DA's office with us. And when we hit the house, they threw a bundle of money out the window. Out the window, they, right? Yeah, and, and, and John Pellegrini was in the back of the house, and he looked up, and, and the, the people spoke Italian. And he said to an Italian, what the hell was that? She said, it's yours, it's yours, just keep it, just keep it. The brick of money was like 80 grand, obviously all vouchered. But uh, it was the kid he had he had stole, stolen motors in his house. And it, something to do with cars with that case, but I can't think of the kid's name offhand. But uh, that's it. That's it. DeRosa. Rosa. That was it. We, yeah. We got, we got some
0: knowledgeable people in the chat. Gerard Hines. You guys work with Gerard Hines? Jerry Hines? It rings. Why? It, it does yeah. definitely. Definitely. 100%. I, got, I know him, 100%. Yeah. Well, he knows yeah. you. He's been saying, The Rosa's mother. The <laughs> Rosa's DeRosa. mother. The Rosa's mother threw the money out the, the window.
2: Out. He's 100% on the money. Yeah. Oh, wow. and, and she, I can't put the face to the name. It's Bar.
1: He must up. have been there. No, he definitely Maybe, must have been there. Yeah, he must have been there. But John, she said. Now John spoke fluent Italian, and she she tore out the window. And when he said to her in Italian, "What what what's that? What'd you do? You know?" And she said, "Keep it. It's yours. It's yours. You know."
2: <laughs> he had just got a nose job, so his mugshot looks like we brutalized him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember he got that.
2: Got locked up. Yeah, it was all bandaged
1: and puffed up. When we went into the house, listen to this. When we went into the house, we had the ram. We were about to ram the door. We didn't have to. They opened the door. So we threw the ram on the side on the front porch. The father came and took the ram and put it in his car. But somebody, like a neighbor, saw it. We took it back. We, you know, we were co- contemplating collaring him. But when he heard us at the door, they had a tenant downstairs and it was a way to get from the upstairs house into the tenant's apartment. So he wasn't there. We were said, you know what? Let's check the tenant's apartment. We knock on the door. The guy opens the door. He's half asleep. He had no idea that the kid was hiding in the closet in his house. And we got him.
2: You, you make, when you're talking about the Ram, uh, we did a search warrant with, me, Gary Pontecorvo, Jimmy DeStefano, Scott Curtis from the FBI. I think I was, and, and Jimmy Hawkins, I think, was there, Michael Letta. We, had, all of us were there. And Gary was still built like a a bull, you know? I mean, Gary's the funny... You
1: could say a brick shit
2: house. That's what I was going to say. And uh, Gary, by himself, takes the door down, and the perp ends up under the door. And Gary runs into the house and he's like looking for the guy, and the guy's underneath. Don't the tell door. me the perps Gary, under the door. And he walked over, he was underneath the door. He that sounds he, like he a car almost hit me in the mouth. He dropped it on the floor after the door went down, almost broke Jimmy DeStefano's foot. He was like in a rage. But boy, what an a what a great agent, Gary! What a great agent!
0: <laughs> that's a great story. Pat Russo, thank you for the four ninety nine chat. New York City cops and kids boxing. Steve Cologne, thank you for the nine ninety nine super chat. You guys are keeping us in business, but no one's throwing bricks of, of money out the window. But that's all right. Thank you so much for the super chats. You know, Tommy, one of the things that everyone, of course, is the most interested in, and I know you can't talk mo- uh, much about it, but is the mafia cops, uh, Louis Apolito and uh, Stephen Caracappa. And that really probably out of all the cases in your career, even though at that point you weren't on the police department anymore, you worked for the Brooklyn. Oh, no, I was. I, it started with me on the
2: police department. Um, okay, it started and with and you on I, the
0: police department.
2: And I finished it. The case finished when I was in the Brooklyn DA's office.
0: Right. Um, that
2: was a listen, you know that? You know, I, I just say this Frank Drew, who's a DEA agent, was a F, worked for the FBI. He was a DEA agent, then worked for the Lawrence County DA's office. Joe Ponzi, um, uh, myself, Betty Heidel, the mom, uh, the, the prosecutors, uh, Mike Vecchione, uh, AUSA Hennock. There's just so many people and so many pieces to that case. Oh, and Timmy Timmy uh, Moran, who was a DEA agent in Vegas and worked the Vegas end of that case. Without Timmy, the feds are time-barred, and we would have had to just go with one murder in the state. And we probably would have won, but they got hit with 79 counts in U.S. Attorney's
0: what weren't um, Ippolito and Caracappa held in Las Vegas on a drug charge? They, they wasn't the outside, right? but that's the, what they got. What 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 made the
2: feds? What they were time barred to keep the continuing enterprise going until that right. drug buy was made. And Timmy Moran out there is the one that did it. You know, I mean, it's in my book, so it's nothing that I, whoever read the book or well, you can Google it. Right. But, uh, Timmy was the one that got that buy done. So when they arrested them in Vegas, that was on the complete indictment out of New York for the whole the whole case. And they get collared in Vegas, they get arraigned in Vegas, and then they get brought back uh, to New York. You know, I mean,
1: they probably they probably
0: thought that they were scot free, and they had started a new life in Las if, Vegas, right? If it
2: wasn't all, I could tell you is this much: you talk about relationships, and she wasn't too pleased with me. You know, when we first spoke. And I totally was able to relate to her, you know, being mad for a lot of different reasons. Um, But Betty Heidel is the only reason that that case resurfaces. And a lot of people, when we approach certain people, I won't mention their names, you know, basically laughed in my face and said, you know, what makes you think, you know, you you can do this. And I said, I don't think I could do it. I said, I'm just, looking to take a shot at it and uh frank drew was a big part of it you know timmy moran without with joe ponzi betty heidel the eastern district i mean all mike becky all these people that got involved in this thing um without one peg it doesn't happen so right. you know you know, it, conventionally... work in the
1: uh, eastern district at that time
2: I I only wish that Jim Walden was the prosecutor on that case. You know, just for the relationship, it would have been a lot more fun. You know?
0: Tommy, Gerard Hines said, Tommy arrested Tommy Kane and TJ Hines, my little brother. But Tommy was a fair guy, he said.
2: That's the guy. That's the guy. Yes. Yes. I locked them both up. That was one of the cases I was talking about where the cop's brother died. Wow.
0: So what when a, we're a, talking a, about it comes full circle, being nice to people,
1: comes oh back.
2: Son. But that, yeah. was, that was the case. That was the
1: case. Bill, earlier you were asking Tommy if he gave his all on the mob cases as well as the other cases. And I think the difference, like when I worked in the Six O squad and I would go on a homicide and go to interview people, you know, there'd be cockroaches crawling. When Tommy was investigating a mob case, he'd sit down and have a nice black coffee and maybe a cannoli, you know. <laughs> and, he, and he had and he had the picky in the
0: cappuccino cup, you know. And he, it a wasn't sport, so he much fun being in it. Being in
2: operation pressure point, strip search and prisoners and the seven priests, and trust me.
1: No, all I kidding aside. All kidding aside. I, I, I know for a fact, because I worked with Tommy, he gave every case is all he didn't he didn't, you know, say, oh, I'm gonna investigate this case because it's a mob case more than any other case. And I think we're all like that, you know, whether it's a drug dealer that's laying there dead. Or, you know, it could be an innocent person. You know, you gave, you had, you, you were, uh, like, you were in, entrusted with. The
2: only case I'm sorry we made collars on, and I'll say this, not I really don't care, that should have just been left dormant, was the Gus Faraci murder. We locked up the guys, you know, we made collars on the Gus Faraci murder. That's one that could have could have stayed you know, unsolved for the rest of the for the rest of eternity, as far as I'm concerned. Hey,
0: when I heard Sammy the Bull said that kid had no respect, I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, they want him just respect. as much. He
0: was not Cosa Nostra, yeah he, was, yeah. he was, uh, what he did. Oh, no, he, you know what he did? He he flirted with Sammy's wife. I was
2: like, That's got to be a death. Well, segment, I'll tell man. you something, there's a there's a there's a he went away for killing – Gus Faraci went away for killing uh, uh, a young man on the beach, um, and he was doing time for – I think they got him on manslaughter. And then he kills Everett Hatcher, the DEA agent, God bless right. his soul. But there's another murder that – I won't get into it because I left – it It didn't pay to um, – Gus Faraci was dead, and one of the guys that he did the other murder with, I locked up. He got 27 to life on another murder. And uh, so he was – Gus Faraci was a bad guy, a, a, a real bad guy. And that murder I'm talking about, nobody even really knows about. But he's dead, and the other guy that was with him that did it got 27 to life, so they're paying their price for the murder that we didn't lock them up on, and there's reasons that we couldn't. You know, now,
0: Gus Faraci was was an associate. He wasn't a made guy. He a
2: made guy. He was an associate of Jerry Chili, who was a captain in the Bonanno crime family. You know, oh, he never
0: he never got straightened out.
2: No, no.
0: I was. am just trying to show you my mob vocabulary. <laughs> he was. He ain't got no button. He ain't got no button. He got he, a
2: button. It, it was a related, down. Down. They were. He was related somehow. I don't remember exactly how he was related to. to the scarfers some way there was some relationship yeah, I
1: think I remember that. I You think know, as far as
2: related, but who he was around was was uh, Jerry Chili, who, who who he's dead too now. Who uh, was a uh, captain in the Bonanno crime family. He used to hang out on Market Street, and that was a spot. You know that they were all there. Al Walker, him, you know, all that, the whole
0: crew. Now, when you walked around in Brooklyn back in those days, when you were on the job, did everyone know you or what? Yeah. Like all the wise guys knew I would
2: stop on 13th Avenue to stop at the pork store. And uh, and I'll say, I've got B&A pork store, and uh, the owner is Bobby. He was the sweetest guy in the world. Oh,
0: that was like Satrials in the Sopranos. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
2: Something but, like that, yeah. <laughs> Bobby was the guy, but I'd stop there to get bring, you know, veal cutlets or chicken cutlets or steaks home. Yeah. And I'd walk right by everybody. My car would be parked. I'd walk by everybody I was harassing all day. You know, yeah. And then was, yeah that, that, was, that was actually
1: a great place uh, being a pork store.
2: And then, then Rocco's for the Galamati. I went yeah. there. I went to stop there one day, and he's gone. He was gone. I miss. <laughs> I miss those places. I really. He may have gotten clipped. <laughs> and no, he closed. He got. They bought him out. He just left. He was there. He started as a little shack, and then he opened it up. He put money into the place, but I had all the agents eating there. Everybody and their mother was eating in that place. He
1: he started out with like a trailer and he started a little yeah, yeah. He made yeah.
2: what what great Galamad he made. Forget about
1: it. Yeah. It was, he had good food there. Good food. He, he, was a, he, was a, he was a miserable bastard, but he had good food. Nah, he was nice. He always
2: was nice to me, Rocco. He was always
1: nice to me. Yeah. So so. Hey Tom, I remember <laughs> I was still in the 6-0. The Columbo Mob war was going on, and uh There was a shooting, and I responded to Coney Allen Hospital. It was Boba Malpizo's son. Son. I actually
2: fought him. He was a fighter. I actually fought him. He was a Hells Angels um, prospect.
1: He's dead now. He was a Hells Angels
2: prospect. And I I actually fought him in a gym out in Tottenville one night.
1: Well, when we responded to the hospital, it was right in the middle of the Colombo Mob War, and they had took some shots at this kid, and they really weren't being cooperative. But immediately after, within an hour, they went to the bagel store on Thursday morning. bagel's day. murder. Mateo yeah, they shot Miranda. and killed a, uh, an innocent 18 year old kid boy. behind the counter.
2: That's the you mentality. want to tell us
1: a little bit about the Colombo Mob War, Tom? That was uh,
2: the Arena faction. Vicarina was the boss. the acting boss, and Carmine Persico was the boss. He appointed Vic to be the boss until his son got out of jail, alley boy, the one we locked up for Billy's murder, and they made a move on Vic and tried to kill him instead of just letting him depart, you know, step down nicely, and uh, that's what started the war. He caught the move. They didn't get him. The people that tried to get him got nervous, ran to different people, and it was, you know what, when you look back in hindsight at that war, it destroyed the Colombo family back then because, first of all, a lot of people died, a lot of people went to jail forever, and a lot of people cooperated, a lot of people cooperated, and uh, it really decimated the Colombo crime family badly. They it, it should have never made the move on Vic. He didn't start the war, you know. Um, would you say like 25 people were killed? No, there were 13 murders, a couple of attempts, a couple of innocent people got shot. Um, but I think the total of actual murders during the war were 13. Okay. Um, there were several people that got shot and died. Uh, some innocent people got shot. And that's when Joe Hines started putting them all in the grand jury, when some innocent people got got shot but uh besides the people getting killed you know which of course is a big deal um how many people went to jail out of that and got life sentences you know i was there for for quite a few of the sentencings and you know life no parole gone done and then how many people cooperated as a result of that war which led to other waves of arrests that had nothing to do with the war or guys that they couldn't nail for the war that they were able to now. God knows how many collars came out of that war. I was there for the first big takedown with the FBI. And we, me and Nick Trapescenti took the door down on the shooter who killed Mateo Speranza. And uh, they locked up, uh, I don't know, 20 some odd people that one day. That was the first wave of the takedown. It was us and the
0: FBI. Hey, Tommy. With all this talk about murder, Duty Ron got nervous. So he gave me a ten dollar super chat. Thanks. He was afraid <laughs> he was afraid he was gonna get whacked. So he gave me ten bucks.
1: <laughs>
0: that was um, uh, you know, I want to say, you know what's amazing? And I read um Larry Mazza's book, The Life, and this really the same thing happened with Gotti and with uh Sammy the Bull is that the top guys expect the guys under them to take the hit. And when when they're talking, they want to, the feds want them to do forty years. No one's taking that hit. Well, I'll tell you, something. you know, with Sammy, it was Gotti that
2: wanted Sammy to take the hit for him. Right. He, he, you know, he wanted Sammy like Sammy wanted to, you know, defend himself, and Gotti wouldn't hand over any any of his transcripts of anything like to help Sammy build a case. And he's basically playing chess with Sammy, thinking like, you know, he's saying, I was important. I need to run the family. The family can't survive without me. You're like, in other words, you 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 take the hit and I, you I take the keep
0: hit. trying to fight. But The hit would be like 40 or 50 years. And, and what
2: John did was John played chess with Sammy, and Sammy checkmated him, you know.
0: Yeah. But the That's same thing really happened with Larry Mazza and Greg Scarpa and all that stuff. They wanted him to take the hit, the hit too. Well,
2: when Larry found out the truth about everything, you know, besides, I mean, listen, Larry, you hear the way he talks, you hear the family he comes from, you hear the track he was on, that wasn't that life wasn't for him, you know, how he, you know, we well, we know how he got caught up in it, how he got went from that though to actually the war is where he actually became violent. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He was more of just a bookmaker and, you know, bets and things like that. But the war is what brought the violence out in him. And then when they found out that the guy that, you know, they were taking orders from and were afraid to get out of the life was cooperating. It kind of, you know, him and him and his partner Jimmy uh you know decided like, you know, we're not we're not going to jail for the rest of our lives for him. Even though Larry did do ten years, and he did a quite—I'm not sure, but at least half of those years, or maybe more—in the whole.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough thing to do, man.
1: Well, it's the yeah. old saying, Tom: um, first one through the door gets the deal. So once the well, boss cooperates, we, we
2: we had uh, the Bath Avenue case. You know, uh, I won't mention certain names, but me and Rob Rosellari from DEA, Michaeletta, we, we picked up a guy out of Brooklyn House of Detention, and we brought him to the old IED building, which was our building at the time, Intel, on um, rapidly Street. And uh, we, we went over to Patsy's Pizzeria, we bought a pie, brought him in, sat him down, no pressure, you know, just basically, basically we told him, it's the house of cards are falling, you know, like, we're just giving you a shot. And he was, he ate his pizza, and he was like, he was a gentleman, you know, he was stone cold murder. Not that I liked the guy, but uh, you know, he was a very vicious guy, but he was a gentleman to us. And he said, listen, I understand where you're going with this, he says, but it's not in me. And I said, just letting you know, tomorrow, there's gonna be another probably good friend of yours sitting in the same chain, in the same slice, and it's gonna be good for him. And that's exactly what happened. And the guy that we first brought in to give him a chance got
0: fifty years.
1: Wow, unbelievable!
0: It's uh, like you know, there's no—I hate to use the term, but there's really no honor among thieves, and that's that's that happens to be true, you know. As my boss
2: Tony Solano used to say, "There's no partners in crime," <laughs> you yeah, know. That's true. Tony that's was true. one job guy. I, I I call him Slip Mahoney because. You know, He'd always have a hat on with a pencil behind his ear with the racing form. You know, Tony's a great <laughs> investigator.
0: Great is, there any, is there any such thing as a, a stand-up guy, you know?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, we I was just talking on the phone with um, with Joe Ponzi and Frank Drew, and I was talking to Frank Frank Drew more in detail. There was a case that DEA let me tag along on the takedown. I had nothing to do with it. I was not a Genovese expert. I did not – Ever put handcuffs on a Genovese crime family guy. I knew like the high players like everybody else did, but I really was, it was foreign land to me. And there was a, a group called, there used to be the Purple Gang from like Cleveland and Detroit, a bunch of Jewish guys years and years ago. There's a Purple Gang that came out of Spanish Harlem, Spanish, uh, Italian Harlem and the Bronx and they were Some were made Genovese guys, some were made Lucchese guys, and some were just not. They were associated with those people but weren't with them. Major, major, major heroin traffickers, major hijackers, and it was a father and son thing. It was a group of guys from back in the 30s that started it, and I went on the takedown of Rob Brizolari and the Group 2208, you know, uh, from DEA were experts on Genovese guys. And I was just talking to Frank Drew about it because he was with me that day that I tagged along. And these guys were facing 150 years in prison. Like, uh, they had them cold. They were like, I don't know, 10, 12 of them. And I tagged along that morning, just, you know, they asked me, you want to come? I says, yeah, I'll go. I knew nothing about any of them. And 150 years in prison, they were laughing in the cell. Not one of them cooperated. So not that they were doing good things. It's good they got caught. But you got to look at guys like that. They took it on the chin. They knew what their risks were. And when they got caught, they showed no emotion. When they got sentenced, they showed no emotion. And not one of them cooperated. And believe me, someone would have taken one of the Purple Gang guys to cooperate because they could have really giving you information that, you know, law enforcement don't have. And I bet you there are many people out there today, if they still exist, that really know anything about them.
0: Right. You know, guys, we're at, uh, we're at 53 minutes in. I promised today we would do under an hour just because people are telling me that, oh, I can't listen for more than an hour. But then people listen to this and they say, I could listen to this all night, you know. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Jared Hines, Gerard Hines, just said, "I remember Tommy questioning me for the Mike Marola murder, but he did it by the book." <laughs> yeah, he didn't. T- I'm, j- I'm sorry for questioning you. I found out who did it. It wasn't you. I apologize. And he, and he said that bullshit life is over. So he's out of the life. So we're doing some good things here. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad. I just heard. also wanna wanna uh, make mention that Phil Grimaldi, my good buddy, we played opposite each other in the Perfect Murder. He's got a future in this podcast business. You know, he's not just the Joe Pesci lookalike. Joke around. That's Philly Hollywood. That's right. He's a smart guy and he's, he's got a
1: good personality and people like him. And he's got that Brooklyn accent. Am I here to amuse you guys? What <laughs> the frig is so frigging funny. Tell me what's funny. <laughs> that's Philly, great. I love it. I love she it. Thank good, you, Bill. I really appreciate that. Comment.
2: Friend. And Philly's done things for me. I,
0: I can never
1: repay him. Me your, and Tommy are good buddies.
0: Keep your friends close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't nice. hear that bullshit. Right? <laughs> but anyway, Tommy Dade's, you know, man. I actually, I I feel like you've been my buddy for years, and I've only met you three times via a uh, Streamyard. And I, well, I well, thank, thank you so much for having me
2: on again. Thank you. I appreciate Hopefully,
0: it. we'll all meet up next week at. Yes, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it. that we all meet up next week. And I just want to one more time give kudos to uh, Joe Murray, attorney at law. That's his website, jmurray-law.com. For all you folks that are in the live chat, I appreciate you guys, everyone giving me those super chats. And if you want to support Police Off the Cuff, please uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or join our Patreon. I uh, I hate like pushing all of this stuff, but uh, that's our Patreon address. Uh we have three tiers. The one is called the, the bucket. Number two is called Polish My Rack. And of course, the premier one is Dipped in Butter, which costs eleven dollars <laughs> a month. That's the one. <laughs> and that's the one you really want. You really want it dipped in butter, that's for sure. But anyway, I Tommy, I can't say enough. These stories are unbelievable. And I Thank can't you, wait till you can talk about the, the mob cop uh case because Yeah, uh, me too.
2: That's a great case.
0: So you know, everyone here wants to hear about it. And yeah. I mean Obviously, that's why they're going to be making um, making it a TV show, because it's, it's a It's going to be
2: great. Terrence Winters is an amazing writer, and he's, he's going to really do a good job, but he'll be able to articulate the story, and
0: just how it happened. Dude, just got to no. because he doesn't want to get whacked again.
1: <laughs> Bill, I just got to say, I know some of the intimate details of that case, and I'm going to tell you, when it hits, it's going to be fantastic. It's just really... The the biggest scandal the NYPD ever saw, and it's just an unbelievable story. And you guys will be seeing it very shortly.
0: I hope so, man. And I just, again, Philly, you know, uh, Philly's probably going to be filling in a lot because Mark um, DeMeo, my co-host, he's a busy comic, and comedy's starting to open up again. He's probably going to get booked at least every Thursday night. So Philly's going to be filling in a lot, I hope or else if he doesn't, I'll have to get some other short Italian guy from Brooklyn, you know? He'll be there,
2: Philly. Trust me. He's going to be there.
1: You get Joe Pesci to do it. That's all. Yeah, I'll have to get the real Joe Pesci, not not the Joe Pesci lookalike. I got to tell you, we only scratched the surface with Tommy's career. Tommy, you know that there's a zillion. I talk to Tommy sometimes. I bring up one thing. We're on the phone 45 minutes. Just <laughs> shooting stuff off. He He's like talk. a computer when it comes to this organized crime stuff.
0: Absolutely. Folks,
1: all you police off the cuff, real
0: crime story fans, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody. On behalf of Phil Grimaldi, the great Tommy Dades, good night.
1: Good night.